Year of the Ox. Or we could say Happy New Year. Get it? New for ox, and also new for new. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Andrew Ryan. I am Natalie So. And today we're going to have a fantastic show for you. Lots of games and some New Year's treats. In fact, we're going to start off with a video that was shot by Reese Ayers, who went shopping for us. Check it out. Lunar New Year is a time of family, food, and fun. But for me, the lead up to the celebrations have got me in a bit of a panic. After being invited down to Ping Dong by my friend Ryan to spend Lunar New Year with his family, I knew that I needed to buy some kind of gift. However, this is my first Lunar New Year in Taiwan with a Taiwanese family, so I had no idea what to buy. Luckily, Andrew suggested coming to Di Huajie to look for the perfect gift. Di Huajie is one of Taipei's oldest streets and is famous amongst shoppers of traditional bits and bobs, especially around Lunar New Year. Incense, herbs, teas, and fabrics are in abundance here, and I'm hoping to find the perfect gift for my surrogate family this spring festival. Di Huajie actually gets its name from the Chinese city of Arumqi in Xinjiang, northwestern China. The city was formerly known as Di Hua, and today Arumqi is a city famous for its bazaars and lively markets. Although the market connection may just be a coincidence, as the truth behind Taipei's road naming system is actually much simpler. Back in the 1940s, a map of China was simply laid over a map of Taipei City, and the roads were named after the Chinese cities that they matched up with. This year, however, Di Huajie seems notably less lively, as a recent cluster infection of COVID-19 cases has the government and locals alike on high alert. I decided to invite Ryan along with me on my shopping trip to lend a hand. Okay, so we have so many different varieties of tea here: green tea and oolong and jasmine and chrysanthemum tea. Is tea a good gift for Lunar New Year? My family likes snacks more than tea. We'll get snacks for your family, but I'm thinking maybe I'll buy some of this tea for myself. We've got lots of interesting-looking things here. Some things that I'm not entirely sure what they are. We have some sea cucumbers, I think, for $12,800 a bag. That's a little bit out of our price range. Up here we have the birds' nests. Uh, they're also pretty expensive. We're looking for something a little bit cheaper. So I think we're going to go for maybe some dried fruits and nuts, all mixed together in a big, healthy Lunar New Year bag. This one is like a sugar outside, and inside is a peanut. We have like tuna candy. The dry fish is tuna candy. Is it sweet? No, it's salty. Okay. So good. Like it's a crunchy inside. That's it. You know, I walk past these stores that sell these bags of colorful miscellaneous snacks every day, and I just never really know what any of them are. And now I discovered that we have fish candy. Fish cookies. Dried fish cookies, my favorite. Ginseng chicken soup. You know what this looks like to me? This looks like potpourri. Potpourri is that like dried stuff that your mum puts on the table to make the living room smell nice. So I think the best thing that we can do is just nab a selection of these different bags. So Ryan, do you have any suggestions for which of these would make a good gift? This one is like a dry long yen. Okay, let's get one bag of long yen. How about some kind of nut? We've got pistachios. We even have macadamia nuts. Everyone loves this. Tando. Everyone loves this. 
I think we should also get a bag of dried fruit. Now I was thinking maybe a bag of dried guava. Guava is a very, very Taiwanese fruit and I think it's delicious. Would this be a good gift for your family? Yes. Pistachio. I think the last bag we're gonna get is gonna be this bag of pistachios. Now the reason that I chose this is because in Chinese pistachio is kaising ko and I just love that name. Happy nuts and of course we all just want to be happy at Lunar New Year, right? Let's wrap those things up and let's pay for them. had a very successful shopping trip today here in Dihuajie buying some snacks for Ryan's family for Lunar New Year. Do you think we did a good job? Yes, we did. I'm very pleased. I'm gonna head back in and buy some extra snacks for Andrew, Natalie and Leslie in the studio. See you later. Joining us now in the studio with some treats is Reese Ayers. Hi, Reese. Hello. How are you guys doing? Doing great. I see you have a big gold ingot I full do. of what? It's full of New Year treats. There's a huge variety inside. Mm. I bought all of these in Dihuajie whilst shopping with my friend Ryan. Excellent. And so we get we're to gonna try sample some. some, yeah? We are Exciting. going to try some of these. Okay. Now, you've each got a, pan, uh, a plate of these snacks. Mm -hmm. I've got a whole ingot full. So let's have a competition, <laughs> see who eats it the fastest. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think you guys might win that one. Uh, I think you can probably see what some of these things are, but others might be more of a mystery. All right. We're going to start so... on the left. Okay. Yeah, so pick up your first one. We're going to put this in our mouths and eat it. Mm -hmm. I love this one. It's probably my favorite of the Crunchy, bunch, actually. salty. Natalie, do you know what this is? It's a wan dou, right? It's, it's, it's a, a bean. It's chan dou. This is going to oh, be like a, a fava bean, yeah? It's a tan dou, yeah. I think okay. we also can call them broad beans. Mm -hmm. At least that's what my uh, translator app oh, said. Good. It's crunchy, good, right? right? Kind of salty. I love the texture. Mm. Very crunchy. Now, the shells, you can or cannot eat them. Depend I, on what you prefer, right? I'm already eating my shell. I eat the whole shell. Mm. I think it's yeah. okay. It's okay to eat the shell. <laughs> it's yeah. good. It's Unless good. you have favism. If you're allergic to these, you want to stay away. That's right. Mm. Uh, my friend Ryan, he told me that apparently allergies to, to these beans are quite common. Mm. Um, okay, good. Is Next this one. Dried mango? It is not dried mango. Oh, I okay. think I know what this is. What's dried this, guava. Andrew? Yes, I think it's dried guava. Dried guava. Mm -hmm. I chose this because for me, guava is like the typical Taiwanese fruit. I think it's the first fruit that I tried when I came to Taiwan. Mm. That and the wax apple, which I thought was also good. Super fruit. It's, it's a super fruit. It's so nutritious. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Is it good? It's really good for you. I don't mm. know about in dried form, but in the regular mm. form it is. Dried fruit, they say that um, fruits, if you can get them fresh, obviously that's number it's one. For you. Mm -hmm. Number two is dried, and then everything else is after that. What about like frozen? Juice. Yeah, juice is not good. Fruit frozen is frozen. okay as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right, good. Number three. Now we have a small kind of mm. dried black fruit. Do you know what this is? Mm. Plum? Not a plum. Mm. Is it a, um, hmm. It's a seed in the middle. Oh. It's kind of smoky in its flavor. Oh, is it a longan? It is a longan. Oh, yeah. wow. A dried longan. And actually when I bought them in the bag, they did come in their shells. Uh, I'm not sure how they dry them, but they're fantastically they smoke delicious. Them. They, yeah, they smoke them? They smoke these. And these actually, I think once they're dry, they're called guiyuan. Okay. Yeah? Oh. Yeah. Oh. They're very good. I've never had one before. Uh, oh, I really enjoyed those. Oh, it's tasty. Mm. It's really good. Next up, we have quite a large, chunky snack. A big uh, old chunko. Now, this is something when I saw it, I just had no clue what it was. Mm. Is this something you guys have come across before? Um, it looks a little bit like those ones that have, like, um, maybe maltose inside of them. They're, like, crunchy okay. and... 
but I'm not sure. Kind of like an Ovaltine biscuit. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> Looks like Let's a sugary a... or peanut oh. powder on the outside. Oh, that's not what I expected. Definitely peanut powder on the peanut outside. Peanut powder, mm. and on the inside we've got some kind of like fluffy, spongy. Mm. Malau. Malau. That was what the bag said. Oh, it is it. Okay. It was malau, yeah. Okay. I've got one here which is covered in Rice Krispies as well. Oh, nice. Um, I think you should try that one. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) same texture but no peanut dust on the outside. I like Mm. those. They're pretty good. Mm. This one's hollow on the inside too. Check that out. That's All right. very uh, interesting. Cool. Moving on up to the, to the more strange end of our snacks, okay. we have these little pink and white delicious-looking <laughs> so treats. And so, so cute. When we went shopping in Dihuadia, Ryan told me that these are very nostalgic for him. Mm. These were always on the table at Chinese New Year uh, at his family's house. And so he was like, you have to buy a bag of these mm. um, to yeah. take home uh, Comfort to food for him. Yeah. So let's try them. I love the pink color of it, too. And it's like really crunchy. One. Oh, yeah, yeah look at different. That. The texture is not what I expected. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm. Can you guess what's inside? A nut? Mm-hmm. It's very sweet. What kind of nut is it? I can see why children would like these. It's a peanut. Oh. It's a peanut essentially just covered in sugar. Mm-hmm. But it's a very pretty design. Yeah, very nice. That also mm, reminds me a little bit of the the colors. Reminds me of Tang Yuan, mm-hmm. the little glutinous rice. Mm-hmm. Tumbling. Very sweet. Mm. Very sweet. I can see. Yeah, children would love those. And then the last one that we have is, it's emitting quite a smell. That's um, why it's wrapped that's up. That's why it's wrapped up. We're <laughs> unwrap these. So this isn't a chocolate, is what you're saying? It's not a chocolate. It's something that has a smell, and it's wrapped for a reason. And uh, I think you're going to be intrigued, as intrigued as I was when I came across them in the store. Now, the bag said it's a kind of candy, Ooh. although <laughs> I'm not quite sure it can be classified as such. Uh, Natalie, oh, it what... smells really it, it smells, smells like fish it... or squid. <laughs> squid? I'm, Dried squid? I'm excited. Uh, mm, okay, let's have a go. Uh, oh, this, this tastes really familiar. It tastes better than it smells. Dried squid? Yeah. It's not dried squid. It's tuna. Tuna. Dried oh, tuna. Oh. It's tuna candy. And they look like little candies. Oh my gosh, they do. Beautifully they wrap wrapped and colorful. I'm going to protest this one because this is not a candy. <laughs> no, it may be wrapped like a candy and look cute, but I think it is faulty advertising. But it's probably good for you. <laughs> I it's good for you, right? Yeah. I, I think they're quite good, actually. I think it tastes good. It's a I'm, good snack. Healthy, it's a, probably. It's a good snack. I think they have an advertising problem. <laughs> this is not a candy. I think this would be nice, like crumbled on top of food or something. I agree. Yeah. No. But I think there are a good range of snacks oh, that yeah. we have. I really hope that Ryan's family down in Pingdong are going to enjoy these. Now, is this your first time doing uh, Lunar New Year with a Taiwanese family? It is, yeah. It's my second Lunar New Year in Taiwan, but my first actually spending it with a family. Uh. So I'm very excited. Ryan hasn't told me too much of what to expect other than... His mother loves to play mahjong. Ah, it's going to be noisy. <laughs> Are you going to be playing mahjong? I'm pretty good at mahjong. I'm oh, just no. a bit concerned. You might lose some money, though. <laughs> She's good, too. <laughs> Should I deliberately lose? Because I'm not bad at the game. Not just be yourself. Okay. I don't want to, you know, make anybody lose face uh, at Lunar New Year. Well, thank you so much, Reese. Thanks. Thanks uh, for having me. And we're going to be having some more fun Lunar New Year games coming up in just a moment. The Lunar New Year is a feast for the senses. As you can see, we have lots of bright colors. Uh, And earlier in the show, we had some wonderful foods. But also, there are a lot of iconic sounds. Ah. So today's brain game is... 
Name that sound. Not again. Cool. So I want to give you that. Alrighty. And I'm going to play five iconic Lunar New Year sounds, and uh, my coworkers are going to try to guess what they are. So on buzzer number one, we have Natalie. So buzzer number two, we have Leslie Dale. <laughs> are you all ready? Yes. No. Okay, yeah. listen very carefully for the first sound. Let it play all the way out okay. before you guess. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. I think Leslie got that. Broom sweeping. Yes. That's what I thought. Spring cleaning. That's right. That's all too. Okay. Spring cleaning. This happens before cool. the New Year's. You have to clean Is your house. Is that you nice. doing that? Uh, that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> right. Here is sound number two. Oh, you're a crick in the draw there. Cooking. That is cooking. Cooking food. Any guesses what that might be, Nelly? Something in the wok. That is right. That is the sound of stir frying in a wok. Lots of great foods at this All time right. of the year. Uh, if you're staying at a friend's house or you're maybe cooking for yourself, you're going to hear these sounds. All right, next sound. Have a listen. That's a hard one. Um, I think we should play that one one more time. This is a very popular Lunar New Year activity. Video games? Not video games. <laughs> something that a lot of families will do together. It involves purchasing something. Yeah, Leslie. Scratch cards? That is right. That is the sound of a Are winning you lottery card. It's a winning lottery card. <laughs> okay. I don't hear that sound. Have you done I this before? One. I hear the one that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went into one of those shops and had them uh, make the sound for me so I could get the sound. Oh, nice. All right, next one. You ready? All right, here we go. Listen carefully. Mahjong. It is Mahjong. That's right. <laughs> a lot of people play Mahjong at the Lunar New Year. With the um, tiles. Yeah, absolutely. The sound of the washing of the tiles before the next round. All right, one final sound. Are you guys ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. Here we go. <laughs> go Firecrackers. It is what? technically not a firecracker. Oh, what is it? It's a very specific kind. So firecrackers have a very loud, like, oh. sound. So it's just one. It's a firework? It's kind of firework. So I'll give it to you. Yeah, tell us. I'll give it to both of you. It is actually a bottle rocket. Bottle oh. rocket. Yeah. I know that. You I see, never I never guess. played with fireworks. So <laughs> I don't know. You're such a good kid, Leslie. You know me. So there you go. There are some uh, iconic sounds for you to uh, help you, I guess, uh, understand the sounds of the Lunar New Year. Well, you know, you guys, I have a little gift for you guys, mm. and actually for the whole crew. Oh, wow. So this is for Chinese New Year. Can you guys guess what these are before I pull them out? Food? It says mask. Wow. Look at these. Wow. Chinese New Year's mask. So what? this one is a... Tai oh. that brings fortune. Oh, like waving uh, the Right, the money and you guys get to pick which one you like. Then this has fish on it. Oh, nye nye yo oh, And this has oranges on it. Oh, I love right? the oranges. It Can means like lucky. And then we have some beautiful flowers. Oh, that looks nice. Look at wow. these flowers. Oh, I love, I love it. it. Which one do you guys want? I have, I'm, my, my indecision is kicking in. Great. Oh, this is so good. I like the oranges. I love the flower. I like all of these. Okay, <laughs> Thank you so much. Sure. What a wonderful and so, thoughtful gift. Yeah, a way to stay healthy and happy. 
and stylish. Very That's relevant. Right. And A very 2021 gift. The gift of health. So thank you again, Natalie, and we want to wish you a very safe and healthy Year of the Ox. It's just like magic. I was holding a mask, and now it's my word of the week. Our final question of the day is: What are you hoping the ox will bring you this year? Or as Leslie just said, what are you hoping the moo could do for you? <laughs> All right, you want to start, Leslie? Yeah, in the year of the ox, I hope I can have more motivation. <laughs> <laughs> steer me in the right direction oh, because no. I heard oh, you have no. to find your own pox abilities. Oh no, <laughs> terrible. Oh gosh. No, like, okay, so the ox is a very strong and tough animal, and this is a wish for the whole world because we've been through a lot. Resilience. Oh, I like it. In the face of the pandemic. Now I feel bad about my words <laughs> to that beautiful one from Nally. I'm just hoping that uh, the ox will bring us uh, no bolt. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us for this special Lunar New Year edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment, um, subscribe. And uh, for Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Happy Year, Year of, of the, the Ox! RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one, what platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two, which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three, out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four, what are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well... Hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan.
Taiwan Today with Natalie So. I'm here with Lonely Planet travel writer for Taiwan and the author of a new comedy novel set in Taiwan called Spinning Karma. That's right. Hi, Joshua. Hi. It's nice to see you again. Yes, and you are now in Portland. I'm in Portland, Oregon. So um, I know that you've been staying in Taiwan for a long time. You write mm-hmm. a lot of travel uh, tips for Taiwan. Do you mm-hmm. miss being in Taiwan? I miss being in Taiwan, especially because Taiwan is the only place on the planet where you can go eat hot pot, go to a restaurant, go to a coffee shop, meet up with your friends in a public place, go to a restaurant, anything that you can think of. So yes, I think it would not be an overstatement to say, yes, I do. I did not expect that this COVID thing would happen when I came back, but there you go. I suppose it's my fate. So uh, I do miss a lot about Taiwan, but I'm glad that I'm able to help uh, people here in Oregon now that um, you know this thing is happening, COVID is happening, and I think that watching how people in Taiwan dealt with the pandemic has allowed me to help people in my own home country using that sort of the, the way that Taiwanese people deal with pandemic. It's allowed me to say, no, you really need to wear a mask, people. It's really important. Trust me, that's what the Taiwanese do, and they're doing fine. So uh, yeah, I, I'm I, I miss Taiwan, but I'm glad that I'm here because it's it's my it's my dharma to help people here. So, so did you miss it so much that you had to write a novel set in Taiwan? <laughs> the novel, believe it or not, I started the novel as a screenplay in 2012, and oh. I had been writing it on and off since then. I put it aside as a screenplay, and the reason is is that it was a a, sto- a film that took place in Taiwan. I brought it to three different Hollywood type people and they were all like, oh, this is great. Oh, this is funny. There is no way that we will ever film a comedy that takes place in Taiwan that will get us blackballed from making money in China because it's, it's a political comedy. And so I said, okay. And then one of them said, look, why don't you write it as a novel? It's really funny write it as a novel, then you don't have to worry about getting it filmed. But now, surprise, surprise, now Taiwan is super, super hot. So I think that it can be a film now. But uh, the two were not connected. I mean, Taiwan is always, wherever I go, I bring Taiwan with me. So yeah, but some of it was written in Taiwan, but most of it was written when I was out of Taiwan. So uh, what would you say is special about setting the comedy in Taiwan and also letting it be a political comedy, you know, have a play on the U.S.-China relationship too? Good question. And I wish that I had thought, I wish I had planned for this question. Um, one, one of my goals as a writer, and this goes insofar as writing travel, writing insofar as magazine articles, anything that I do when I write about Taiwan, there's a part of me that wants to normalize Taiwan as a normal place setting. And I'll, I'll give you an example um, what I mean about this. And, and it, it, I'm going to bring China into this because when I first started doing journalism in the early 2000s, um, did these articles that, that were like, as I, I was living and working at that time in, in China, and everybody would always be so curious about the fact China people were just normal, like there were pandas walking around in the street because, you know, Westerners have this idea about China. Oh, there are pandas walking around. No, they're not. There, there are people taking buses and trains and eating food on the street and doing the same thing that people do anywhere else. Now, 
there's been so much written about China that everybody knows this. Oh, China is, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, is a boring place just like anywhere else. I mean, there's exciting things and there are boring things. But Taiwan is this whole other thing because all the people up until about a year ago, probably because of the way that Taiwan has done a great job dealing with COVID, the only thing that America's, Americans ever knew about Taiwan is, oh, Taiwan separated from China in 1949 and blah, 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 blah. The same thing they put at the end of every single, up until about a year ago, CNN article. So whenever I would write an article about Taiwan for foreign press, editor would always put that little thing there as if that's everything that happens in Taiwan hinges on that, you know, and, and China has never stopped threatening to you, of course, as if that's the only thing people talk about, think about all the time, which is the furthest thing from the truth. Thing. Taiwan is a normal place. It's a wonderful and weird place. And, and I could, my travel writing, I've written about hundreds of weird, unusual places. But I also like the idea of using Taiwan as a normal, regular setting for a story where husband and wives have disputes and people argue with their bosses and regular, normal, everyday things happen that have nothing to do with cross-strait relations. Now, as it happens, the one of the inciting things in this story has to do with cross-strait relations and a terrible comedy of errors that takes place because of that. But I like the idea that the people who are working and acting and living their own lives in Taiwan are doing so because it's just a normal place setting, just like Portland or London or any other place. And I want to see more of that. And we are seeing so much more of that with Netflix shows and other films. And I, there's a zombie movie that just came out in Taiwan. Have you heard about it? I think I have. Yeah. I, I'm, I am dying to see it. I, I hope that it's on <laughs> Netflix. Like it's a zombie film. The zombies don't care about cross straight relations. They're like zombies. They just want to eat people and they're Taiwanese zombies, which is even cooler. So, so yeah, you want to just let people know a little bit of, you know, the society here, right? The culture here. And when and it's also very much a part of you, right? Because you spent so sure. much life here. Absolutely. Um, and I spent, I've often said that uh, Taiwan is where, and I think this is true for Westerners, uh, it might be for other people, Taiwan is where people who had uh, bad childhoods go for a do-over. So, <laughs> and I've met a lot of expats, like, oh yeah, my family got divorced, and, and then you know, after college I moved to Taiwan, and then for the next 10 or 15 years they could be immature, teach English, or do fun <laughs> stuff, and people, Taiwan people are super cool, it's like, yeah, it's it's this way. But uh, it, it's, for me, I, I like to think that I had some of the best years of my life in Taiwan. And even though now, I mean, I'm, I'm doing all sorts of stuff that's super grown up stuff. Now we're buying a house and all sorts of other stuff that's, that's a little bit difficult and a little bit challenging. But I'm really grateful for the fact that when I lived in Taiwan, when I was in my 20s and 30s, it's like, oh, cool, I could just... I think I want to go live in Shinju. Oh, cool. I'm going to go there. I'll get a job and they'll hire me and then I'll live in a cool place. And Oh, now I want to live in Taipei. I'm going to go there and get an apartment and it's super, super easy. And it's the, the, I really like that life that I had. And I think that my novel has that sense of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Joie de vivre, uh, the lightness and the comedy of life. Cause there's so much comedy in Taiwan. 
Uh, and I hope I bring that. Um, There's so much comedy in Taiwan. Can you There's describe a, that? What do you mean by uh, that? People in Taiwan are very funny. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, from the tourist point of view, it's like, oh, this is a town that has cats in it. That's the thing is you go there, get coffee, and they have a lot of cats there. Or this is a church that is shaped like a glass slipper. Or right, there is a church shaped like there, a glass slipper. There right? literally is. Like, I, I've never seen that anywhere else, but Taiwan, have you? You see people, you have garbage trucks that play uh, Mozart's, Mozart's Beethoven. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, for Elise. You have garbage trucks and recycling trucks that play music. <laughs> this is not, and to Taiwan, people's like, oh, this is normal. This is just how we, but you don't have that anywhere else. Our garbage trucks don't play music here. I've never heard of any other country where the garbage trucks play music. Um, People in Taiwan generally tend to, and I think this has to do with Buddhism, and this is why I, 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 the subtitle of my book, Spinning Karma, is a Buddhist comedy. This book couldn't take place anywhere else because Buddhism is such an ingrained part of Taiwanese society. And it's also a more joyful kind of Buddhism, a more happy kind of Buddhism. And I'll give you an example. And I've written articles about this. Have you ever been to like a temple in Japan, a Shinto temple? No, I haven't. Uh, it's very serious. It's very serious. You go to a Shinto ten temple in Japan, you walk, you, some places you don't take pictures and you, you move and it's very serious. You know, in Taiwan, it's a temple. Oh, now they're cooking up food outside and the, <laughs> aunties are there hanging out because they want to hang out there. People are playing mahjong out there and oh, come on in and look at stuff. Take pictures, sure, whatever. Here, this one is dedicated to a god that will help you find a husband or a wife. Go there, drop 200 NT in there, we'll give you a red string, you tie it around your neck and we promise you're going to find a husband or a wife soon. There is a certain joyfulness and colorfulness to Taiwan, and, and it's intertwined with Taiwanese Buddhism, that you don't find in other places, and even in Buddhist countries that people go to visit. And I've traveled extensively in Japan, in Thailand, Laos, and a lot of other places where there's this somberness, which is cool. That's fine. But for a comedy of Buddhism, there is no place on the planet that I could have picked but Taiwan to set that in. And readers will realize that when they when they read this. And I don't think anybody will disagree with me. Certainly not Taiwanese readers. So would you say Taiwan basically does have a very relaxed and open vibe to it, where people are just more um, easily themselves and accepting of people, especially foreigners, right? Oh, yes. The, every year it gets, I mean, so, so truth, I haven't been back since COVID started. So maybe things have changed since then. But no, on the whole, Taiwan has become more and more relaxed. I first went there in 1994. And so martial law had just ended. And I remember my father, my father dropped me off. He brought me to the airport. And uh, he said, Josh, listen, anybody asks you about Chiang Kai-shek, you just say, he's a very handsome man. And don't say <laughs> anything else. Just say, he's a handsome man. Because, you know... My father said, you know, that they very recently martial law, you don't want to get in trouble, don't say the wrong thing. And so when I went there in 1994, that was, I have a story in my first book, uh, Vignettes of Taiwan, about meeting up with a very traditional, traditional, he was a Chinese man, he was definitely a mainlander, who 
Apparently, he wanted me to marry his daughter, even though we had just met that day. We did not wind up getting married. In fact, that was our first and last date. It wasn't even a date. But the, the, the father, father was talking to me, and he showed a picture of Chiang Kai-shek, and he said, and the daughter, I didn't speak Chinese, said, my father wants to know what you think about General Chang. And I said, oh, he is a very handsome man. Father said, okay. Okay, you're okay. You can come and see my daughter again. I did not see his daughter again because she scared, this scared me. But um, this is 1994, and even then, I was just teaching English and starting to talk to students. And as they started opening up, they were like, nah, we don't have to say that anymore. We don't believe that anymore. In fact, we even in a few years, we may have a president who is not even a part of that political party. You watch, you watch. And then... I think it was 1999, 2000, when Abian is running for president and he released, I don't know if anybody remembers this. I don't know if any of your audience is old enough to remember this. I'm an old man now. He released a CD of him singing and rapping. Does anybody remember that? And this, this is the man who is going to be the next president of Taiwan. He releases a CD of him singing and rapping. I wish I still had it. I lost my copy years ago. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this, I can't imagine any politician in America ever doing this. And 2000 to 2008, which I was in Taiwan for a lot of that time, you know, I, I would come and I'd go and I would just watch as it became more and more relaxed and all of these old oppressive martial law era things just started falling by the wayside. And my feeling is that as this happened, the true soul of Taiwan, if you can say that there's such a thing, I don't know if such a thing exists, started saying like, hey, you know what? 50 years, I think that's how long martial law lasted. It was about 50 years. It was long. Maybe longer. Wait, I think 20 or 30 years, something 20 like that. 20 or 30 years. I'm, I'm, it's, it's late at night here for me. It's, I think it was the longest in history, though, of the world. It was the longest martial law in the history of the world, this, this time when everybody had to always be on their guard all the time, what they say, what they think, what they feel. And I think that Taiwan was like, you know what? We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to let our hair down. See, that's my excuse. I haven't had a haircut in a year. Um, <laughs> and now it's, it's yeah, Taiwan is amazingly relaxed. And I think that, that the comedy has come out of that. That is Joshua Samuel Brown, the popular Lonely Planet travel writer for Taiwan. He's also the author of his new comedy fiction set in Taiwan called Spinning Karma. We'll be talking to him more about traveling in Taiwan next week. Thanks for joining me. I'm Natalie So. Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste. And the destination Danshui, 1884. Welcome to 1884. It's an age of invention, ironclads, and electricity. It's also an age of imperialism, and European powers have by now gotten used to throwing their weight around in Asia. France and China have come to blows over control of Vietnam in China's backyard. No one has declared war, but the Sino-French War is on anyway. Taiwan will be caught in the crossfire. And one battle, fought on Taiwanese soil, will enter local folklore and even get imperial attention. In 1884, Taiwan is an outpost of imperial China. 
The ports of Danshui and Keelong in the north end of the island have been forcibly opened to foreigners. A small foreign community, mostly British, has sprung up here. Some have come to trade, others to convert. John Dodd is here to trade. The British merchant has been in Taiwan for 20 years by now. He's the father of Taiwan's tea export industry. By the height of his career, he's shipping out tons of Taiwan oolong tea every year. He's well known around these parts for the cane he uses to walk after an accident. And we know what the troubles of 1884 looked like from the ground thanks to a journal he kept through the war. You could say he was a kind of war correspondent. A newspaper back in British Hong Kong prints his journal as a column whenever new updates come in. With the help of this journal, and Ms. Lee of Danshui's Historical Society, we're going to be revisiting the time that the French came to Danshui. All of this leaves a really big question, though. What does Taiwan have to do with Vietnam? Ms. Lee explains. She says French planners look at Taiwan as an easy Chinese target. They felt that Taiwan would make a good bargaining chip, a hostage really, that they could trade for better conditions when it came time to negotiate peace. She says that Dan Shui's geography makes it an obvious point of entry. In addition, the river that enters the sea at Dan Shui runs back inland, giving easy access to a new walled town we now call Taipei. Is Taiwan really a soft target? Either way, a French fleet is on its way to find out. On August 5th, the fleet arrives at the port of Keelung, down the road from Danshui. When Chinese troops don't surrender their fort, the French blow it up. Some troops even manage to land and plant a French flag on the ruins of the fort. John Dodd and everyone else knew that something like this was coming. But the question now becomes, what will happen to Danshui? Ms. Li explains how Danshui prepared. Torpedoes are laid in the river. Then, boats filled with stones are sunk, blocking off the river's entrance. The French ships are too big to skim over the torpedoes and the obstacles. Dodd evacuates his offices further inland and heads for Danshui, where at least there's a British consul and a British ship with marines to protect neutral foreigners. Merchants like Dodd are afraid of looting if they leave their property behind. And since no one knows how long all this will go on for, many of them decide to stay. The calm before the storm ends on October 1st. French forces capture Keelung. On the 2nd, they come to Danshui. Neutral foreigners hang out their home country's flags, hoping it will help protect their property. Dodd notes British and German flags. But it doesn't seem to help at all. The French bombardment sends shells flying in all directions, even into homes miles away. Dodd says that the plaster falls off the ceilings. He tells us that Mr. Jameson's roof is hit, and so is Dr. McKay's garden. The foreigners are lucky, though. Some Taiwanese civilians are killed in their homes. Sadly, many more are killed by touching unexploded shells. And not all were just curious. By the end of the day, we're told, they're selling for 60 cents apiece. The Sino-French War does have a lot of action. Over on the mainland, the French smash an entire Chinese fleet in under an hour. But in Danshui especially, the war is a bit weird. For weeks, the French battleships are there, and they do nothing. 
Dodd even uses the wonderfully Victorian word dilatoriness to describe the total lack of action. Finally, on the 8th, French troops attempt a landing. The shelling demolishes buildings and severely injures people. Dodd says that time slows to a crawl. But while people are a bit shaken up, they're not panicked. I think you can see this in some of the details. In the midst of all this destruction, Dodd doesn't neglect to mention that a French shell has lodged itself in Messrs. de la Prekend Company's tennis lawn. How frightful. John Dodd is too far away to see the action himself, and with all the explosions, he's a bit preoccupied anyway. So Miss Lee tells us about what happened next. The French force has a day's supply of food and ammunition. Once they've landed, they're on the move. But even the local plants are against them. Some have sharp thorns, and others have big twisted roots. Different divisions lose sight of each other in the thick brush. The landing is a disaster. The Chinese are firing from two sides. They're well hidden and protected behind defensive walls. To disorient and frighten the invaders, the hidden Chinese troops take out their pots, pans, and cutlery and start banging them together. With all the noise, the panicked French troops imagine there must be a huge army in front of them. They start firing at random. By the time they get out of the thorny brushland, they've run out of bullets, and reinforcements aren't there yet. During the retreat, some French soldiers are captured and beheaded, and their heads are displayed publicly, leading to formal protests from the British consul and ship's captain. Apparently, the skirmish wasn't entirely a one-way street. Dodd tallies up the number of injured treated by the foreign doctors, and notes that most of the wounded have been shipped in from North China. Other accounts have been written, but Dodd lived through it, which is why his journal is especially interesting. But he leaves out one of the most interesting details. He doesn't seem to have been much of a fan of Taiwan's folk religion. But that's one of the reasons this battle is remembered. For more on this, we return again to Ms. Lee. It's said that the gods helped out too. The sea goddess Ma Zhu and the Bodhisattva Guan Yin both used their skirts to gather up bullets from mid-air and dump them into the sea. Meanwhile, another god called Master Qing Shui used a horsetail whisk to deflect bullets, protecting the people, the troops, and the houses. People said that during the battle, they literally saw these gods in the sky. And when the Chinese commanders heard this, their morale surged. Unknown to many, you can still see evidence of this legend at three local temples to these gods. The emperor himself sent commemorative plaques to these temples to thank the gods for their service. The Sino-French War drags on into the next year. France holds on to Keelung and also takes the main town in the Penghu Islands off Taiwan's coast. But in Danshui, things turn very tedious. After the failed landing, the French commander orders a blockade. Dodd's journal begins to read like a castaway's diary, as supplies run out and only outgoing mail is allowed through. The war does end, though. When it does, the effects on Taiwan aren't immediately obvious. The only thing that Dodd records is that by the time French troops have left, some people near Keelung have picked up French words and mannerisms, even a good accent. But the war does have an impact. The imperial government recognizes Taiwan's strategic value, 
and it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that the same year the war ends, it decides to upgrade Taiwan to a province. The decision takes effect two years later. The war also provides Taiwan province with an able governor. Liu Mingchuan was sent over from the mainland to defend Taiwan against the French invasion. As the new province's first governor, he's credited with all kinds of things. Taiwan's first railroad, a telegraph line connecting it with mainland China, and a modern postal system. Those are all stories for another time. But there is a chance that none of that would have happened if it hadn't been for a few now obscure months in the 1880s. With the drama at Danshui, we can sweep away that obscurity and see how these months affected the people who lived through them. When the British ship finally leaves port, Dodd himself says that while the Marines on board have been through a lot, they're not likely to forget what happened in Danshui in 1884. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me for another journey through time. This is Highlights, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. Lunar New Year is a time of family, food and fun, but for me, the lead-up to the celebrations have got me in a bit of a panic. After being invited down to Pingdong by my friend Ryan to spend Lunar New Year with his family, I knew that I needed to buy some kind of gift. However, this is my first Lunar New Year in Taiwan with a Taiwanese family, so I had no idea what to buy. Luckily, Andrew suggested coming to Dihuajie to look for the perfect gift. Dihuajie is one of Taipei's oldest streets and is famous amongst shoppers of traditional bits and bobs, especially around Lunar New Year. Incense, herbs, teas and fabrics are in abundance here and I'm hoping to find the perfect gift for my surrogate family this spring festival. Dihuajie actually gets its name from the Chinese city of Arumqi in Xinjiang, northwestern China. The city was formerly known as Dihua, and today Arumji is a city famous for its bazaars and lively markets. Although the market connection may just be a coincidence, as the truth behind Taipei's road naming system is actually much simpler. Back in the 1940s, a map of China was simply laid over a map of Taipei City, and the roads were named after the Chinese cities that they matched up with. This year, however, Dihuajie seems notably less lively, as a recent cluster infection of COVID-19 cases has the government and locals alike on high alert. I decided to invite Ryan along with me on my shopping trip to lend a hand. Okay, so we have so many different varieties of tea here. Green tea and oolong and jasmine and chrysanthemum tea. Is tea a good gift for Lunar New Year? My family likes snacks more than tea. We'll get snacks for your family, but I'm thinking maybe I'll buy some of this tea for myself. We've got lots of interesting looking things here. Some things that I'm not entirely sure what they are. We have some sea cucumbers, I think, for $12,800 a bag. That's a little bit out of our price range. Up here we have the bird's nests. Uh, they're also pretty expensive. We're looking for something a little bit cheaper. So I think we're gonna go for maybe some dried fruits and nuts all mixed together in a big healthy Lunar New Year bag. This one is like a sugar outside and inside is a peanut. We have like tuna candy. The dry fish is... Tuna candy? 
Is it sweet? No, it's salty. Okay. So good. Like it's a country inside. That's it. Well, we've had a very successful shopping trip today here in Dihuajie, buying some snacks for Ryan's family for Lunar New Year. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 6185 kHz. In South Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.